Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's the 17th of March, 2022, day before my birthday. I'm James Cridland, the editor of podnews.net. And I'm Sam Sethi, the MD of River Radio. Hi, my name is Marty Michael. I'm the CEO and co-founder of HeadGum and Gumball. I'll be on later to talk about our recent Series A $10 million raise and how this platform is helping independent creators through host-read advertising sales. He will. Podland is sponsored by Buzzsprout, podcast hosting made easy. Last week, 4,118 people started hosting with Buzzsprout. You can too at buzzsprout.com. And if you use chapters in your podcast app, then Buzzsprout supports those. And so do we. You did something this week that actually I was really interested in. Uh, We talked about Oscar Mary, the uh, CEO of Fountain App last week, coming up with a new suggestion for comments. Now, one of the things in podcasting is uh, user interactivity and interaction and comments is the first step forward that I think the industry is trying to embrace. Oscar mentioned that there might be a way of, of doing something called lightning comments, which would be an interesting idea. You've run with that idea because you liked it and you've implemented it on pod news. So I was really curious to ask you, A, was it easy to implement? And B, now that you've implemented, do you still like the idea? What um, Oscar Mary proposes is that we use what we use for boostergrams, so a method of sending a small amount of cryptocurrency to one another along with your comments that allows you to be able to share those comments with other people. And so what I've done is I've shared 1% of our boosts with the Fountain app, which is then collating all of those boostergrams and making all of the comments available at the end of a JSON file for me, which is lovely, which then means that uh, I can actually see those comments, but also that means that I can pull them into a web page and you can also see them in the Fountain app and various other things as well. So really easy and simple, which ActivityPub really isn't. Basically, they're in there possibly the wrong choice to do it with the pod news podcast because we uh, we do get some comments but not really an awful lot whereas obviously in terms of uh, this podcast then we do get a little bit more why do we have to go through oscar what's oscar done and for other podcast app providers i mean obviously they won't want to go through fountain so what would they need to do you can ask anyone and fountain happens to be the person that i've asked but you can ask anybody to produce these comments uh json files for you so it's basically collate my comments do all of that for me so that i can see them in an app um, and I'm quite happy to give one percent of all of our boosts as a, you know, as a as a price for running that. So I, I think that that's probably fine. And in the same way, you know, if you're doing Activity Pub, you'll probably need to pay somebody to run an Activity Pub server if you're not going to do it for yourself. I could sit there and fiddle around with um, my Raspberry Pi, my Umbral, and you know, go through lots of JSON feeds and everything else on that, and then upload those and everything else. And I could do that and that's absolutely fine Um, but that's a bit of work and I'm not sure that I necessarily want to do that work Uh, and so this is rather easier 
Um, and of course, it has the benefit of also appearing within the Fountain app as well. So I, I think that, you know, there's benefits there. But, you know, it's clearly just a different way of thinking about it. Obviously, what Oscar could be offering is he could be offering things like moderation for those particular comments. So if somebody leaves something nasty, then I can go in and delete it or ban people or however that works. Um, so he could offer that sort of thing as well, which again is rather a lot easier if you're just running a simple piece of uh, software there rather than sitting there having a full activity pub server and everything else. So um, yeah, so I, th- I thought it was just it was just interesting and much easier for me, you know, a developer with with very little brain, to be able to actually code this and stick this into the uh, you know on into the website. I suppose it reminds me of the days of blogging where you added discuss to your comment system rather than using the WordPress comment system. Yeah. And you know someone yeah, else managed exactly. it and in this case for managing Oscar's taking a small payment uh, you know you normally pay software fees he's just taking it in crypto. I guess that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and he's taking it. And and I think what what's interesting is that that automatically stops any spam issues because if you have to pay, in essence, although you're paying a fraction of a penny, but if you have to pay in order to actually uh, post a comment, then automatically that has a effect on the amount of spam that you get too. So there's some really interesting um, by byproducts of all of this are quite apart from the fact that anybody who leaves a message using this system is giving you a small amount of money you know and uh, uh, and that's probably not a bad thing yeah john spurlock did something very similar for activity pub when he put together minipub.dev as a website to allow people to spin up fundamentally uh, an activity pub comment section so yeah it's very similar in what they've both done yeah so he's done something which is similar but it's still a bit complicated and you know i tried setting up my own activity pub um box using john's code and everything else and it just ended up being a bit too complex and i still didn't really understand how i could pull that onto the website as well um, and so I, I think this is a this is an easy and simple way. But I think you know, coming back to the um, to the point of all of this, I think that this is a fundamental thing that we have to get sorted: is um, comments that you can see in many different apps, just like YouTube. You know, YouTube, it's really interesting. Whenever you post something onto YouTube, you get comments pretty well instantly. And it's a really nice validation that people are actually there and and having a listen. So yeah, I think it's a good thing. Okay, so that was a an extension for the podcast index called Lightning Comments. But you also mentioned that you're permanently supporting the social interact tag uh, using Twitter as the URL. Um, can you explain that in english to to everybody <laughs> yes. please well the difficulty with the social interact tag which is basically the um the cross app comments the difficulty with that is that it supports all kinds of different things and um the uh, standard is essentially trying to boil the ocean with about 20 different standards in there. One of the standards supported is ActivityPub, which we've just talked about. Another one of the standards supported in there is Twitter. Twitter is really easy to program against. It's really easy to automatically tweet onto that platform. It's really easy to spot when people reply to your messages on there. So what I'm doing now is I am um, automatically tweeting every new episode of Pod News that goes live. 
and capturing that URL so that I can see if anybody replies to it. And if they reply to it, then any cross-app comments system that supports Twitter will be able to see any of those replies and comments and surface those in the apps. I'm unaware of any, by the way, that actually exist. Maybe there are, I don't know. Um, but it's certainly that that's, you know, built into the system what I should do a little bit better um, is uh, actually put some UX around it of telling people how it, how to use it, telling people how to comment. So that's been going on as well as, you know, Casterpod has been busy as well, haven't they? Benjamin Bellamy uh, has been working really hard with his team. They've got a new version and congratulations, they've reached the 1.0 version. It's gone from alpha to beta. So for those who don't know, Casterpod is a uh, podcast hosting platform built uh, to allow you to also use ActivityPub as a standard for sharing comments. One of the things in this new version, though, is they've supported WebSub, um, which is a quick way of, once you've posted your podcast, of alerting the directories that you've actually done it. And Google, as we know, is is one of the directories that supports WebSub. And quite a lot of people support WebSub. But hang on a minute, Sam. I thought that Podping was the future here. Well, that's what I thought. And I pinged <laughs> very rudely, I would have thought, actually. You know, hey, we've just launched WebSub. <laughs> why, why, why even you're not added Podping? You madman, <laughs> you Frenchman, you know. Uh, no, um, and... Uh, you know, Benjamin came straight back and he said, look, connecting Casterpod to Podping is not easy as it sounds because it would require that each Casterpod instance, so basically each podcaster gets a key from Hive, mm. <clears throat> which sounds very complex. So uh, we had previously talked about providing a gateway between all the Casterpod instances and Hive. Uh, and what he's done very cleverly is he's actually built a web sub to Podping gateway the URL of which is a websub.watch. And so you can take any websub-enabled podcast and push its notifications to Podping. So a little bit complex, I think, but um, again, it's a solution to a problem of posting fast and getting alerted to the listener. But it just feels like layer on layer. Yeah, and I think actually, if you were to look at it, I think WebSub is is fine for directory-based systems, you know, systems that work on a big server in the sky somewhere, whereas Podping is brilliant if you are leaving um, new episode discovery to the app. So actually, they're, bo they're both doing slightly different things. WebSub is supported by lots and lots and lots of people. Uh, and it makes sense for WebSub, you know, if, if you can code for Podping, you can code for WebSub anyway. So it makes sense that WebSub continues. Yeah. If you need more information about what Benjamin and his team have done, you can email him at hello at websub.watch. Fancy. And while we're on a new podcast namespace kick... Uh, transcripts as well. Yeah, we, we talked about um, the number of people who support chapters within their podcast and the number that John Spurlock had pulled out was extremely low. It was 1.2%. And I think you or I mm. basically um, said at the end of that section, oh, I wonder how many transcripts are actually also included in podcasts. John came back with a, a very low number as well. I think it was below 1%. But Benjamin from Casterpod thought he'd also find out for us. Um, yeah, 
So he came up with a 1.16% number as the number of transcripts that are included in episodes. For English podcasts, which is uh, interesting. So uh, maybe there's a difference between English podcasts and non-English language podcasts. But yeah, 1.16% isn't bad. That, by the way, is 96,975 episodes. Um, which isn't uh, which isn't too bad, but clearly very very small, and I think supporting transcripts is a really important thing for uh, Amazon, for Spotify, for Google, and for uh, Apple to have a look into. I, I don't think, given that it's 2022, I don't think we should be at a position where we are still treating accessibility as being something that would be nice one yeah. day. <laughs> it would be good to good to get that fixed. Uh, so yeah, Benjamin, thank you. Merci for putting that uh, together. Uh, I appreciate the um, the deep dive into some of the numbers. Now, we seem to be talking a lot about platforms today, uh, and we've got a few more platform stories to come. Uh, the one that I wanted to raise was something to do with Transistor, which uh, is a lovely platform, and it's now announced that it's supporting multiple languages for its built-in podcast websites. So they now support French and Spanish as well as English, and they would like to add more. So, yeah, have you tried Transistor in the past? Yeah, I've not tried Transistor in the past, but Justin uh, always uh, comes across. He's he's uh, most definitely an entrepreneur. He's one of those, but he definitely comes across as being somebody that is always working on that product, and it's a pretty good uh, product as well. Um, uh, to me, it, it seems obvious that any podcast host out there should be dealing in more than just English, given that actually most of the growth in podcasting is happening in other languages. Um, so French and Spanish being a good start, particularly if you're in Canada, uh, making sure that you have French is probably a legal requirement. Uh, so there is always that too. Um, but I think uh, it looks as if they've built it so that it works in terms of um, uh, in terms of a standard ini file, so you can add additional ones relatively easily, uh, which makes a bunch of sense. So many congratulations to Justin uh, for uh, doing that. I know that Captivate are also planning that sort of thing as well. They're doing it a little bit differently because that's the way that Captivate do things. Um, but uh, I understand that that is coming at some stage in the next uh, in the next little while, is I believe the phrase that I should probably end up using. Um, but they've also launched um, uh, some other stuff, haven't they, uh, Sam? Yeah, Mark was tweeting, uh, Captivate now supports full episode planning, research links, and a new Chrome extension for sending research to Captivate, all dynamically inserted into your show notes too. Plus, we've connected Stripe to Captivate to allow you to make money using listener tip. Now, the Stripe part's really interesting because Stripe are allowing you to also, if you want to, to uh, allow cryptocurrencies as, as well as fiat currencies as a means of payment. Do you know, I've not even seen that. I use uh, Stripe for Pod, for pod News is Classified and I've not even seen that they support uh, that sort of thing. I should probably dive into that and see and see how that works. But um, mm. yeah, well, very interesting. Um, and uh, I think Stripe is a fascinating company uh, because it's really enabled payment for virtually everything online now. So um, good to uh, end up uh, seeing that. Stripe, of course, is not the thing that Twitter uses, is it? No, uh, obviously Jack Dorsey with Block 
and with Cash App uh, have their own payment system. Um, but Twitter, interestingly, uh, seems to be doing so much right now. I don't know whether it's because Jack's left and the developers have gone, Ray, let's go mad. I have no idea what's going on <laughs> over there, but someone's woken them up because they are producing so much. So this week, uh, I think last week, we talked about the podcast tab that had been sort of surfaced as part of the new dev. And uh, Jay Manchin Wong has said, uh, it looks like a feed of podcast episodes is what the podcast tab is by the people you follow on Twitter. So I'm guessing we would have to post our RSS somewhere or we would have to post about our episode and then they would aggregate it under a podcast tab. Yeah, as far as as far as I un understand, um, what she has seen is a tab with some information around somebody sharing a episode on Spotify. And and so, you know, obviously you can spot when an episode has been shared on Spotify because that's a pretty easy um, piece of URL spotting. Um, I would guess it's going to be more difficult to spot an episode being shared on Fountain or on, you know, something else like that. Um, so I'm not quite sure how that's going to work for all of the different podcast platforms. But you can certainly see that if I was to share an episode on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or maybe even Google Podcasts, um, then uh, their systems might pick it up. Um, I have also heard that uh, from someone else that actually there isn't going to be a podcast tab as mm. such. What there really is, is there's going to be a podcast filter, which just filters down the incoming tweets that you have from the people who you follow just to show the podcasts in there. So it's not necessarily a separate product. It, it, it's been done like that in the app at the moment, just so that um, they can do a little bit of testing. But my understanding is it's just purely a filter, um, which will be shown. But um, interesting seeing Twitter fiddling around with that. They've also done some fancy things with um, NFT hexagonal profiles. If you go onto uh, Twitter, then it looks as if I've got a hexagonal profile, but I haven't. I just made one up in an arts <laughs> package just for fun. Um, there's um, more sort of Twitter circles stuff going on. Um, and Chris Messina, friend of the show, has super follow. Uh, so now you can pay a monthly fee to follow Chris and get access to something. I'm not quite sure what you get, to be quite frank. Um, but anyway, Super Follow uh, has now been added uh, onto that uh, list. Um, so that's all pretty cool. And uh, Twitter Circle uh, is um, getting uh, even closer, which is some um, a sort of way of, it sounds to me like Google+. Plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> different circles who see different things that you post. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so interesting to end up seeing that. Well, what's crazy about it is that um, obviously it's using the Dunbar number, so you can only have 150 people in your Twitter circle at the most. Um, anything you share only goes to that circle if you want to, uh, So and all replies as well, so nobody will see outside your circle. Um, and you won't be able to uh, worry about removing people from your circle because they don't get notified so you can add loads of people in and then go nah don't like you anymore and they're yeah. out in your circle why would somebody well i can imagine why people want to use it it's like maybe private groups um people want to have uh 
areas lists yeah. I, we had lists before but i guess it's a list with with a walled garden around it i guess yeah i think it's very similar to google plus circles i think it's very similar to the groups that you have on facebook if you're posting on facebook then you can make your post visible to you know to family only or to your friends only or you know uh, i've got one which is uh, friends only apart from cat because uh, uh, a work, an old work colleague of mine, uh, I think we were planning some party or other, and uh, or whatever the reason was, can't quite remember. But anyway, I wanted all of my friends to see it, but not her. Uh, and so really easy to end up doing. Um, so perhaps it's that it's that sort of thing. But interesting seeing what uh, Twitter is uh, doing. Um, there's a fair amount of sort of tinkering around. Apple have released a new version of iOS with um, a couple of tiny little tweaks for Apple podcasts. One of them is that you can now browse by season on show pages and you can also filter episodes. So that's exciting. And the Podcast Academy, uh, if you want to vote for the Board of Governors, you can now do that. Um, interestingly, the Academy Academy's rules are that 40% of their board of governors, this is the first time you've been able to vote, by the way, for the board of governors, and um, the rules are that 40% of them need to be independent podcasting professionals. And they have a definition of independent, which is nice. It's defined as companies with 20 employees or less, uh, which is a good sort of, you know, place in the sand. Um, if you are a member of the Podcast Academy, uh, then make sure that you vote. You need to look into your email for a mail called Board of Governors Vote, uh, and you can end up doing that. And, of course, it's the Ambies uh, next week in L.A. Um, hopefully you and I are going, Sam. Yes, we will be in the crowd and some... Unless you've been told you're handing out an Ambie. Yeah. You know, I don't know with you. I, I end <laughs> no. up going, oh, James is <laughs> on knows? stage. I mean, you know, as you make Will Ferrell these no. days anyway. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't think that I'll be on stage. Um, in fact, I can, pretty well guarantee, I can pretty well guarantee that I won't be on stage, given that uh, I don't even know whether or not my application for two press tickets has actually been accepted yet. <laughs> but one would... One would hope that it is. Um, so uh, anyway, good to uh, uh, see that. And that'll be uh, fun uh, next week at the Mayan, which is some weird sort of, um, yeah, uh, sort of Latin American uh, themed theatre, which is 17 minutes walk from the conference venue, I, I discover. Past a nice pub, though. So that's excellent. Do they take Satoshis? <laughs> it's, it's LA. Of course they do. <laughs> right should we talk about spamming yeah an ongoing story that i guess you've been covering about acast using the email that's within the rss and it seems that although we've highlighted that it's a little bit spammy and other people have also jumped in and said this is not really a sport young man um they keep doing it. So what are they doing this week that's annoyed everybody? Well, so they keep on spamming other people. Um, they uh, spammed some co-founders of, well, they spammed Buzzsprouts um, <laughs> founder. Uh, they, found, they, uh, they spammed Tom, Tom Rossi. Uh, and they, uh, the spam says, hello, friend, at the top of it, and tries to convince Tom to move his podcast um, uh, Tom Rossi's podcast over onto Acast, <laughs> which is a bit of a dumb thing to do. Um, they've also been spamming people um, who um, have had shows that they uh, finished uh, three years ago. Uh, Libsyn's Rob Walsh, 
friend of the show, correctly notes that friends don't send emails starting, hello, friend, and they don't spam. Congratulations, Rob. Yes, absolutely correct. Um, but what I found most hilarious about this is that Acast offers its customers a tool to hide your email address in the RSS feed, <laughs> quote, so that it will help our podcasters avoid unwanted spam, <laughs> which is There's no genius. There. No genius. Uh, Ross Adams has said, uh, well, I asked him previously, email marketing is one part of our marketing strategy. Um, but what they also did is they bought Radio Public a couple of years ago. And when they bought Radio Public, some interesting things happened. Firstly, they've started um, spamming people with Radio Public accounts, saying you should be moving over to Acast. Secondly, when I went to the Radio Public website, um, it didn't have a privacy page. It just led to a 404 error, which is probably not a good thing. That has now miraculously come back after I mentioned it. Can't think why that might be. Um, but it's a privacy page which dates from 2016. It's authored by Jake Shapiro, who hasn't worked for the company for two years. And one of the interesting things is it claims if we merge, this is we, Radio Public, if we merge with another company, such as your information will become subject to a different privacy policy, we will notify you before the transfer. Well, I'm uh, a user of Radio Public. Guess what they didn't do? Mm. <laughs> Check your spam. Maybe in your spam, mate. No, I don't think it is. Um, in fact, the, the last email from Radio Public to its users was a year before Acast bought them. Um, I've asked ACAST for details about, about when that promised notification happened. Um, they are talking to people internally, but I think we know what the answer is. Um, and, you know, it's just a real shame. Um, I think that ACAST is a pretty good company, um, but it's stuff like this that doesn't give you very good feelings about ACAST. And that is, I think, a bit of a shame. You always want to keep a nice public persona and, um, you know, spamming people, especially being a bit dumb and spamming your competitors is a bit of a mistake. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to meeting Acast at uh, Podcast Movement <coughs> Evolutions. I'm sure that's going to be a fantastic bundle of laughs. So, <laughs> so there we are. They've always been very nice to me in the past. So we'll see. We'll see what happens this time. See if you get a beer out of them this time, mate. Yeah, but still, there we are. I, I love the fact. It's just a little, a bit of a side tip bit. The uh, the word email spam comes from Monty Python. What you got then? Well, there's egg and bacon. Spam, 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 egg and spam. Spam, 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 baked beans. Spam, 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 and spam. Oh, lobster thermidor, crevettes with a mayonnaise sauce, garnish with truffle pate. That's what Wikipedia tells us, that it comes from Monty Python. I, I did not know that. I thought it stood for something. No. I did not know that. There we are. Have you got anything without spam in it? Anyway, um, yes, enough about spam. Let, let's talk money, shall we? Yeah, Gumball, uh, you wrote about uh, a couple of weeks back, raised $10 million to expand its podcasting host-read advertising platform. The company was built by a team behind the HeadGum Podcast Network. And I thought I'd reach out to the CEO, Marty Michael, and find out, A, what they're doing, uh, congratulate them on the 10 million raise, and ask them what you're doing with the money and uh, what are you doing with Gumball? I am Marty. Before this, I was working in digital advertising. So I was working at a website called College Humor. I was selling a lot of branded content, specifically working with creators from College Humor 
who were delivering a brand message to an audience who already knew and loved and trusted them. I was seeing a lot of success specifically with selling Jake and Amir. They're a web series that has over a billion views on YouTube. And we became pretty close friends through me selling that. Ultimately, I became aware that they had a podcast outside of College Humor, and I started helping them sell that. And what I quickly realized was a very similarly formatted ad unit. So it was a 60-second host-read, creator-endorsed message talking about a brand directly to an audience who already knew and loved and trusted them. The main differences were what I sold at College Humor was $500,000 and could take two to three months to produce the video asset. And in the podcast, it was roughly $2,000 and it, we could turn around overnight. So a light bulb went off for me. I was like, man, once these big brands like P&G and Coca-Cola figure out that they can use this much more efficient vehicle to do the same thing within podcasting, there's going to be a massive influx of brand dollars. I approached them. I said, hey, would you guys be interested in using your show as the flagship show, asking some friends and family to start shows and building out a little bit of a podcast network around that? They were excited about the idea. We started HeadGum, which is a comedy podcast network in August of 2015. We all moved out to Los Angeles, started tapping into their relationships as online creators and comedians, had a bunch of their friends and family start shows. We started with 10 shows and roughly 500,000 listens a month. That quickly grew to 30 shows and 10 million downloads a month. And in that process of growing and scaling, I quickly realized that we had a big challenge in front of us. And that is selling the host red ad unit, the thing that I was so passionate about and the reason that I started this company and asked my friends to start it too. It's a very manual process in which there's a lot of time spent through a staff or a manual like lift to reach out to the advertisers, get the RFP, fill out that RFP based on shows that you have, send that recommendation list back to them, have them select the shows that fit. Then you're they send you that abbreviated list and you have to go through and find the available dates, which are typically stored in some sort of Excel. And then from that Excel, you're sending dates back to them and they're selecting from those dates. So you're like dealing with an eight layer abbreviated list at this point, at which point, hopefully nothing was taken by any other advertiser that you're talking about. And then you're signing a contract moving to the IO. And then you have to get the copy points, send those to the creator who's then recording the air check, sending it back to you and you're sending that to the brand. So there is just a ton, not to mention the entire payout and collections process afterwards, but there's a ton of back and forth just to get the ad sold. So at 30 shows, that felt like kind of the max cap that our team was able to handle bandwidth wise. Now our team is roughly 24. We've hired probably 10 in the last three months since the funding. So that's been a big part of what we're accelerating more quickly. But at the time, our team was relatively small. We had six people and that included me, Jake and Amir. So we were really small when we first started and we're growing. Anyhow, I had this idea that we should try and automate a lot of this process, try and clean it up, make it less manual. We started doing that internally. We hired a guy named Andrew Pyle, who is working at Vimeo. He was the CTO at Vimeo. He basically built Vimeo from the ground up. He was amped on the idea of creating this solution within podcasting. He's a big fan of podcasting. So he joined the team and we started building. That was in 2016. We basically have been building internally for two, three years, unbeknownst to brands and to the creators on HeadGum. They were utilizing this platform or we were on their behalf to keep everything organized. And what we saw immediately was that our process probably got trimmed to be like 80% more efficient. So we'd be spending 80% less time on the back and forth with brands. We started to invite shows that were independent outside of HeadGum to join the platform. 
not necessarily like fully opening it up, but just having other people that we knew needed help monetizing their show. And we saw a lot of success with adding them to the platform. Basically, anybody that we added was instantly exposed to all the other ads advertisers that we were already working with. And any new advertisers that they would bring along with them would then spend on the other shows that were already on part of the HeadGum network. So this double-sided snowball was really effective. And the same thing goes for brands, right? Like any new brands we were bringing in were able to see the large amount of impressions we had were buying across multiple shows and be able to scale their test campaigns in a way that they weren't previously. So the secret to what we're doing to back up a little bit is we basically take in this host right out of the thing that we care about and we're solely focused on that. And we basically, we standardize it in a way that we can list real-time available inventory to any brand that comes into the marketplace and is shopping for shows. So that whole entire three to four week process we talked about earlier. Now what a brand can do is they can come in, they can quickly click on, let's say comedy 18 to 34 female audience. It'll automatically in real time filter those shows. Then you can click a plus button and it will show you the available inventory for that show. You add that available inventory to your cart and you can check out with a credit card. So that process can take 30 seconds. So we basically take in a a very long manual process and and compacted it into an e-commerce shopping experience like Amazon. In terms of what's the bottleneck, is it now the inventory and having sufficient inventory? Is it sufficient brands to fill the inventory? Or is it the time to produce the inventory? Where's your biggest bottleneck now? So I think we really found a product market fit. And I know it's like a term that people use before they go raise a series A, right? That's the the definition of why you do that. But truly, we were adding shows onto the platform that were independent and it required very little lift from our team, if any at all. What we realized is that we had a serious opportunity in front of us. And that opportunity is to get as many independent creators onto the platform as possible to expose them to all the advisors who are already spending on the platform and get them really help creators monetize. And in turn, because we built a technology to do, we have the ability to offer them a much more aggressive revenue share, which just means that artists make more money and keep more money. So the bottleneck for us right now is truly getting more creators on the platform. So the money that we raised is to address a few different things. Primarily, build out a marketing team, something we didn't have previously. So we've already started doing that. We're going to be utilizing that marketing team to help us increase the inbound funnel, but also just get the word out there to advertisers so that we get more spending on the platform as well. And then engineering. Andrew, he's very talented. He had a 100-person engineering team underneath him at Vimeo. He had nobody here until now. So he's built everything that we have solo. And we're really excited about getting him a team again so that we can build product faster. Because part of this bottleneck is that we have really fun ideas to help both sides of the marketplace, meaning tools for creators and tools for brands that will make it much more exciting to join the platform. So that should alleviate the bottleneck as well. Okay, so... I, I love the fact that you've got this. Are you still creating your own content as well? You Is is that still part of the plan or are you just going to park that now and just bring on creators yourself? No, totally 
Headgum is this entity that will continue to exist. Gumball is the marketplace and the scalable opportunity, much of what is exciting to investors. But part of why Gumball works is Headgum, right? It's this idea that we launched this platform with a collection of very quality shows and very quality advertisers who were already utilizing it pre-launch. So that quality stamp of approval that comes from that stable of shows is critical to the way that we scale up Gumball, the marketplace. We're going to continue to be opportunistic on the headgum side, meaning as different creators within the comedy space are interested in starting shows, we absolutely continue to hear those pitches and want to work with young, bright talent that fits that voice. So we're super excited. Last week, we dropped the final episode of Dead Eyes, which is a show that we own and operate with Connor Ratliff. And on that final episode, Tom Hanks was on it. It was basically a journey of three seasons trying to figure out why Tom Hanks fired Connor Ratliff from set of Band of Brothers. It's a really <laughs> beautifully well-executed story. And it it's one of the best finales I've ever heard in podcasting. I mean, I'm tooting my own heart here, but the, it is, it's really quite, it, it's a, beautiful piece of content that we're really proud of and we want to continue to make more content just like that so we're excited about that too okay so i love the fact you're going to have your own content you're going to bring other creators content in you're going to marry that with brand so one of the things that's been going on in the industry is the joe rogan effect of him him doing what he's doing massive audience but let's be polite certainly a little bit of fake news going on there how do you ensure that your brands are protected within the content they do they, do they have a lot of say in your content or is it hands off hey marty we trust you slam our content slam our brand right next to your content and we're, we're, we're cool with it how do you deal with the brand to make sure they're on message with your content sure so there is a sign up process not anybody can join the platform there are certain thresholds that are required and then once you apply and you meet that threshold we, there is a review process from the team internally to make sure that the content is it fits within what we consider brand safe and one of the things that we're looking for when, through that process is not only the content itself but any previous ads that they've read like the quality of those ads and if we can trust those creators to deliver quality messages moving forward for brands that purchase the show. There are some third-party tools that are emerging to try and alleviate some of this, I guess, solved for some of this problem. And I'm interested in what those are. I think one of the cool things about having a scalable technology platform rather than just like a manual sales process is that you can plug in to third-party services through API to provide extra tools on both sides of this ecosystem. So we don't have to build everything ourselves. If there is a really good solution for something like this that exists and we can plug it in through an API, we absolutely want to explore those options. So that's pretty exciting to me as a layer into what we're building. Do you find with HostRed ads fundamentally, is there a lot of back and forth? You were talking about the back and forth in the early days. Is there still a lot of back and forth of getting the copyright and all those? Is that a long process as well within? Basically, the way that it works on our platform is that the buyer can come in, agency can come in, they can create their plan, they can execute the buy. What happens after that is if they have a campaign on their dashboard and what they're required to do is go through and upload copy for the shows that they 
purchased. So that copy automatically gets relayed over to the creator. And then when the creator logs in, they have a chronological list based on episode of all the ads they need to read. And there's a button simply there for the copy that's required for that ad read. So we don't, it's a very hands-off approach to making sure that they have that. There are triggers that are built into the system that will notify the advertiser if they're behind on getting the, created a copy. And equally on the other side, hey, you're late on your air check, what's going on? That kind of trigger happens for the creator as well. But all of that back and forth, that's all automated on our platform. Cool. Going forward, are you going to stay as an audio-only platform? Or podcasting is quite interesting now in that does the word podcasting really cover fundamentally what creators are doing these days, audio, video, and live, right? Are you predominantly today just a podcast audio platform, but is video and potentially just live events, is that something in your horizon? Our focal point is really around the creator-endorsed message. So right. what we're starting with and what we've built is a is an ecosystem to support the facilitation of the sale of that unit in podcasting. But all we really care about and, and what we're really trying to make more efficient is the sale of this creator-endorsed unit. So if there are opportunities to do that outside of podcasting, we're definitely going to explore them. One of the things that I'm really excited about is YouTube often gets flaunted as the second largest distribution channel for podcasting right behind Apple and ahead of Spotify. And no one is doing a really good job of taking advantage of those listens currently in the sales process. And one of the things that we wanted to do is be a market leader in incorporating those listens into what a creator could sell. Because again, the more money that the creator makes, the better off our entire ecosystem is going to be. So including incorporating the YouTube channel from, in addition to the podcast audio specific channel, we're able to sell for more impressions per spot and more money per spot. And that is something that we've like rolled out in the last week or so and really excited about integrating those numbers. LipSync's advertised cost sets their CPM, the industry CPM average at around $23. Is that fair? Is that roughly where you are or... Or is that low or yeah. higher? Look, our one no, that's a it's a I think it's a decent estimate. What we're able to do again with the technology that we've built is that we can price shows based on demand. So they're not stuck and pinned to some CPM that doesn't make sense for the show. We typically run between like on the low end of fifteen dollars CPM and on the high end fifty-five dollars CPM. Right. And what the system does is it'll check the available inventory for the next six months and based on an algorithm that we wrote it'll it can price the show appropriately based on that demand which isn't that the best way to sell a show so a couple of last questions are you going to make gumball a destination there is a, a lot of tension in the industry now between the likes of spotify who are building the closed wall so customer comes to spotify and consumed on platform. And then there's other platform players like Acast who are pushing it to the edge. So consume on YouTube, consume on Apple and Spotify, or wherever you consume your content. And they're pushing to the edge to consume. Where are you? Is your current plan to just push out to the edge like YouTube and everything? Or is it to make yourselves a destination and have a, a fan base there that you can consume content in one place in one time. We're dealing with two sides of 
a marketplace. So we're not just dealing with creators, we're dealing with advertisers too. We can't really push the advertisers to YouTube or Spotify. So for them, we certainly are bringing them into the platform and asking them to do their shopping on platform. For creators, it's somewhat similar because we're only helping them with the monetization tools. We're not interested in being a host platform or a distribution platform. We're purely a monetization platform. And to be a leader in that, I think the opportunity for us is really to bring all those people on the platform and build them the tools they need to make it worthwhile every time they come. So right now we have a ton of that through what we've been building around transparency and the amount of listens you're buying and how much a spot costs and adding those spots to your cart and checking out. I think as we think towards the future, the more that we can build to make that experience more transparent, but also just more efficient, it will become worth the creator and the advertiser's time to be utilized in the platform. Okay. So... As I said, congratulations on the 10 million raise. That's a, a hefty sum. What are you going to do with it? So what's the plan? I think when we think about what we want to do with this money, there's two areas of emphasis on the hiring side. I think we touched on them briefly, but marketing and engineering are the two that we're like really focused on. And then beyond that, we have to continue to ramp up the acquisition side. We have a really fine leader in our VP and, and Dane who came to us from Simplecast and Really excited about him building out that team and getting awareness up. The critical point for us at, with this raise is to really establish ourselves as the leader in host red advertising. And to do that, we're going to need to get our awareness up across the board and get the message out. Because everyone that we show this platform to is very impressed. And the same question always comes up at the end, which is why hasn't anybody else done this? Why isn't anybody else doing this? And to me, that's a nice testament to what we built. And I'm super excited to show it to more people. I think that's our biggest challenge. So we talked briefly off mic. You're, you're going to be a podcast movement next week? Yes, I am. I'm on a panel, a Veritonic panel, talking about data in advertising. Excellent. So I recommend everyone go along and meet Marty. Are you going to be able to see the platform if people want to come along and meet you? Absolutely. We have a whole team of people here in Los Angeles, and the majority of them will be there, including Dane and his team. So we can definitely find time with people to show the platform and demo it. Marty, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Marty Michael from Gumball and HeadGum. Great to uh, hear him talk and uh, many congratulations. That's a sizable amount. And host red advertising is clearly the bit that works the most. So great to uh, hear that uh, there's uh, more work going on there. Yeah, I think they've built a quite nice uh, system that is going to try to semi-automate at least the process of connecting brands to relevant podcasts and audiences um so yeah well done uh i am guessing that the the 10 million will go very quickly though given that they're building a quite sizable team and uh, raising money to go and get fresh content i don't think 10 million dollars will last them too long well we can but see uh, and i'm sure that they'll have a small amount to uh, spend on a uh, popular podcast news website <laughs> Now, uh, we were talking about uh, languages earlier and Transistor changing its uh, podcast pages into uh, other languages, but that's not all that's going on in terms of different languages, is it, Sam? No, again, talking about platforms, Google's introduced multilingual video dubbing. 
uh, is called Allowed. I think we talked about it a week ago um, about what this product does. It's um, a new product from Google's in-house incubator and it will bring English language podcasts uh, to the rest of the world. It doesn't do it through putting captions. It actually dubs the video, which is very clever. Yeah, it'll be really interesting seeing that. And, uh, uh, you know, there are a couple of, um, of examples on the Allowed uh, website uh, as well, uh, which has a strange old uh, website address of allowed.area120.google.com. Uh, which is the in-house uh, incubator's uh, subdomain. Um, but yeah, and they've uh, shown off um, videos being dubbed into Spanish, Portuguese. Um, there is some Hindi on there, although that is officially coming soon and various other things. They say it's free to use. Um, and they say they're working with YouTube as well. I wonder whether that might be one of the things that YouTube talks about next week at Podcast Movement Evolutions to actually use some of Google's smarts, which they've very clearly not used in terms of Google Podcasts so far, um, use some of Google's smarts to actually take um, shows and dub those into um, into other languages. Um, interesting uh, seeing that. And that's not the only bit of multi-language uh, work that's been going on, is it? No, but I'm, before we do talk about what else, you talking Hindi is going to be the highlight of my year. That is what I want to see. <laughs> Just you dubbed in <laughs> Hindi. That's... Yeah. yeah. You or Brian, well, I'm not sure who's <laughs> going to get there first, actually. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be Brian. Um, with uh, the Veritone uh, uh, tools that he ends up using. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, interesting. Uh, interesting to end up seeing. Uh, there is actually more support for Hindi uh, in uh, your favourite app, isn't there? Yeah, so Descripts has launched uh, transcription support for 22 new languages. You can now transcribe audio or video, uh, and they've also launched support for Hindi, but it's in the beta of the app only. So that's great news. So for, uh, I know from Descript's um, a user uh, discussion boards that there's been a, a international requirement from a lot of the users to get transcription beyond just English language speaking countries. So uh, congratulations to the team over there. I think that's quite a nice one that they've done. Yeah, and there's more on this with iHeartMedia, which is working with Veritone, which I, I just mentioned. They're using synthetic voices to translate shows into different languages, and they'll start in the Spanish market as well. And that's all fine, automatically translating stuff as all of these tools are doing. The better way, of course, in, of doing it is to talk to a local podcast production house and one of the reasons why is that obviously uh, culture is different and uh, you probably want to get the culture right as well but um, interesting seeing at least some technological solutions uh, moving forward on that if you want to hear the Veritone stuff working then go to espanol.soundsprofitable.com and you'll be able to hear Brian Barletta uh, from Pod News's ad tech newsletter Sounds Profitable talking in Spanish even though he doesn't speak a word of it um, because uh, he's using that particular tool so uh, very cool it just feels like everyone's suddenly woken up to non-English speaking Speaking languages, like the world just come 
online. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think certainly when you have a look at the amount of new shows in different languages, I mean, Hindi is the number one growing language for podcasting at the moment. And I think, uh, you know, you can also have a look at uh, everything from Portuguese to Spanish, French, German. Uh, all of those are growing far faster than English. And, you know, there's clearly a, um, a bit of a race at the moment in just making sure that uh, you talk to the right people. Moving on then, uh, Matt Deegan, friend of the show, uh, he also had a little look at Amazon's AMP. Uh, he wrote a lovely report about it, and basically he doesn't like it. James, he doesn't like it. And he's a radio man like you as well. So uh, His view, and, 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 you know, it's my view as well. I'm probably not quite as angry as he is. But his view is that, uh, you know, um, big tech thinks that they understand what radio is all about, which is essentially allowing you to play songs and talk nonsense in between. And that's not what radio is all about. Radio is about a very consistent thing. Radio is about proper storytelling, actually, you know, doing the work. And that's what um, all of these um, radio tools seem to fail at. Amazon's AMP, which is a way that you can, um, you know, present a music program if you want. Tom Webster did one last week. I'm told it was very good, although obviously I can't listen because uh, it's not available on anything other than iOS and it's not available anywhere outside of the US. But uh, I'm told that it's very good. Um, but, you know, I think in terms of... Um, you know, in in terms of the radio industry being told by big tech how to run itself, it, it's just a bit frustrating. And if you've ever worked in a radio company as, you know, Sam and I um, have stroke do, then you'll know that you end up with lots of um, techie people coming in thinking that they know better than you do. And it's um, just a bit of a frustration. So, um, yeah. And, you know, um, Matt points out um, that uh, the man that runs uh, Amazon AMP, which is a guy called John Kiankuti, is indeed a very talented chap, Matt says. He's the VP of Product Engineering, or he has been the VP of Product Engineering at Netflix, Director of Engineering at Facebook, then Director of of Product Management at Google before joining Amazon. He seems exactly the right person with the skills to build a digital product, but he's not the right person to program a radio station. Um, And that's probably the point. So, uh, yeah. So I think, you know, uh, interesting to end up seeing that. And of course, it will be interesting to see what the uh, what Edison Research's Infinite Dial says about radio listening in the US. That's coming out uh, on Wednesday at Podcast Movement Evolutions or just before. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see those figures. Alongside those figures, of course, are the figures for how many people are listening to podcasts, which is uh, always an important thing. So um, nice to see those particular figures and i see some figures from spain as Mm. well keeping the international theme going spanish language podcast platform ivooks has published its 2021 financial report now at 12 years old uh, the profitable company claims over 70 million episodes and more than 700 million listeners that's very impressive indeed income from subscriptions and advertising has doubled during 2021 and the company spends half a million euros a year or $545,000 on R&D. I don't really, because it's not, uh, it's Spanish speaking, I don't, I've never used iVooks or even gone to their platform, but they are great numbers. Yeah, they are great numbers. Um, 
interesting that they call this the 2021 financial report, but you can't actually see how much profit they made, which is um, which is a thing. Um, it was a lovely press press release, which I carried in the original Spanish because that's what Google Translate is for. Um, but also interesting too, I think that the company spends apparently half a million euro a year on R and D. Now I went to the Ivox or Ivox website. It's a shocking website. <laughs> the technology <laughs> on it is so bad. Um, and they are one of the prime offenders when it comes to user agents and RSS user agents and all of that of, ju of just um, their apps saying any old stuff and they're having so many different apps on so many different uh, platforms. Um, if they are spending half a million euro a year, I'd love to know where they're spending that because they clearly aren't spending it on the website. They're clearly not spending it on the apps. Um, but um, maybe I'm just being a little bit cruel because I don't fully understand the the uh, the language. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, nice to see. At least it's not an Apple or a Spotify or an Amazon. It's not one of the big companies. Um, it's a plucky independent company in Catalonia, which is doing a good job. So um, many congratulations to uh, Ivux. Talking about plucky little companies. Uh, <laughs> the BBC is not a plucky little company, is it? And they've lost someone else, possibly. Well, if the Tory party have anything about it, they will be a plucky little company. But moving swiftly on. <laughs> now, we talked about uh, Peter Crouch transferring out of the BBC to Acast. And it seems that nice. uh, the BBC is also trying to kill a few other presenters. They've lost Emily Maitlis. They've lost... A few others. It seems Simon Mayer, Mark Comode, who've been doing a film review show for over 21 years, uh, will have its last show live on April the 1st. Now, that isn't hopefully just an April Fool's joke that's been let out the bank early. Um, but if they are closing it down, do you think they're just another talent pool that's moving to another podcast platform? I think that Simon Mayer is having a bit of a laugh with us. What he has said, and in fact, here's a little clip of his announcement. He ended up saying this. April the 1st will be our last show on Five Live. That's really, really clear uh, that the show is ending on Five Live. It's being taken off the radio. And so two things might happen here. One thing might happen, it just continues on the BBC Sounds app. It's just a, a BBC Sounds exclusive podcast, or maybe it's just a podcast that is still made at the BBC um, still uses Simon Mayo and Mark Kermode. Now, uh, that's not what The Guardian have said, and The Guardian suggests that this is the end of Simon Mayo's tenure at the BBC. He's been there for a long, long time, of course. He used to be Radio 1 Breakfast and used to be on Radio 2 until he was paired up with Joe Wiley. Um, and um, The Guardian is pretty convinced that they are both off from the BBC. Does that mean that they're going to a company like Acast? Uh, maybe they got a nice beguiling email. Who knows? Um, <laughs> does that mean that they're going to a company um, like Acast? Uh, and if they are, are they going to be able to keep the RSS feed? Um, or at least to transfer the RSS feed over. Is that happening with Peter Crouch? If you've got a million people downloading that podcast or whatever ridiculous figure it probably has, because it's an incredibly popular podcast, then are the BBC going to allow that IP to go away 
uh, and to be given to somebody else. And if they are, then why isn't there a payment to the BBC from whoever that commercial company is? I don't know. Acast is not making a payment for the Peter Crouch show. So lots and lots of questions. Not sure we know the answers yet, but um, interesting to see yet another set of people going from the BBC. I suspect that part of this is to do with creative freedom, um, quite apart from the desire of people to earn more money. Uh, I think it's partially just uh, creative freedom, not having to follow the, you know, the the great big 400-page BBC editorial guidelines form and everything else. So I suspect that it's a little bit of that uh, too. But um, yeah, Simon Mayer, Mark Kermode, no longer on BBC Radio 5 Live <laughs> from April the 1st. Lovely done. You've still got your BBC radio voice there, James. Well done. <laughs> now, your favourite... I try my hardest. <laughs> now, your favourite app of 2021 is uh, Fireside Chat, of course, James. Have you been allowed onto it yet? I don't think it is. Um, yeah. Uh, no, they, uh, they banned me. And I'm, not, I'm not allowed on. Um, and I gather I'm not the only journalist that they banned either, by the way. Anyway, oh. um, they've got a new app icon. Woo! Um, they've got a new website and their website and the emails that are still pleading podcasters to go and work with them are really now promoting video rather than audio. Now, Fallon Fatemi is speaking at Podcast Movement Evolutions. She's coming back for a second year. Um, Mark Cuban isn't, surprise, surprise. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether Fallon is going to say anything more about Fireside Chat and its relevance to podcasters. But it does seem very much as though it's doing a bit of a pivot to video and video formats and maybe it's trying to take on youtube in which good luck um because i think you'll need it um but uh yeah it, it you know i i think there are many many of these social audio services i think fireside was a little bit late um, I'm not even aware that it's available on Android yet. Um, I mean, certainly it, it wasn't for quite some time. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's one of many that will fall by the wayside. Um, Clubhouse as well, which has been doing some, you know, interesting reworking of uh, how their app works recently with some form of wave bar thing. Um, all this kind of stuff is all is all changing, and my suspicion is that we will see more focus of social audio on things like Facebook and Twitter, and probably more so Twitter than anywhere else. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, goodbye fireside chat. Uh, we hardly knew you. <laughs> Ouch. Now uh, your favourite part <laughs> of the week. Uh, it's time for Boostergram Corner, James. Now it's time for the Boost, 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 Boostergram Corner. It's too much. It is, yes. And uh, thank you to Recovered Cast. Now, you might remember last time that we mentioned a user of uh, somebody like user 14448929. Anyway, uh, that was Recovered Cast. And, uh, he, uh, and he or she says, thanks to you, I updated my username, my profile name and my email in Fountain App. And uh, he says, I appreciate your, that's both you and my uh, Sam, your worldwide view of the podcasting space. Thank you, Recovered Cast. And that's very kind of you. A thousand sats using a Fountain. Now, Kyron has kindly boosted us as well and said, 
boosting for Sam and James Power Hour on YouTube. Be careful with your crowdsource definition of what a podcast is, James, because if enough people say it also includes video, then you'll have to do it as well to be a true podcaster. Uh, <laughs> I will need... Can I reveal? Go on. Uh, I set us up a TikTok channel last week. Did you really? How hilarious. We're on TikTok, aren't we? We are on TikTok. <laughs> wow. How do you find us on TikTok? Are, are there usernames on TikTok? There are, aren't there? At Podland News, we are there. Ah, there you go, at Podland News. Uh, so there's a thrill. Excellent. In fact, I, I set us up so that if you, can, if you just type in Podland News into your web browser, it will uh, automatically redirect uh, to the website. So that's nice. So I'll fix that finally. And we've got an email address, Sam. Did you find uh, We've got an email address. It's, uh, oh, we have uh, made it into the 1970s. Um, our email address <laughs> is comments at podland.news. If you have a comment and you don't want to send us a boost, then boo, but you can send us an email instead. Comments at podland.news. Uh, so that's exciting. Event Corner. Uh, Sam, there's a, a ton of things going on, aren't there? Yeah, if you've ever wanted to judge a podcast awards, uh, if you're in Ireland, you may be in luck. The Irish Podcast Awards are looking for judges. Entries for your podcast are open till April the 11th. Yeah, and yes. I think that's run by Matt Deegan, isn't it, as well? It is. It's another one of the Does... Matt Deegan Empire friend of the show. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yes, he's doing a, he's doing a good job there. Um, but, uh, yes, I've been invited to talk at a radio conference in Ireland in early June. Um, and uh, it looks as if I might have to spend 32 hours in an aeroplane to talk for 20 minutes and then 32 Ouch. hours in an aeroplane all the way back again. I'm not sure I want to do that. But anyway, um, so yeah, the Irish Podcast Awards will be their, their first time. Um, if you are an Irish podcaster, then entries open, as you said, Sam, on April the 11th. Um, I am looking forward to Kai Chuck, who is YouTube's Director of Podcasting and Next Gen Media Partnerships. He is talking at Podcast Movement Evolutions. Um, it's going to be his first public presentation since starting his current position at the end of last year. Super looking forward to that. That is in my diary for Podcast Movement Evolutions, alongside lots of other things, too. Well... You've skipped over the script, James, and I thought that was very subtle of you. But I'll go back um, because <laughs> <laughs> I know, you can't blow your own trumpet, so I'll blow it for you. Now, Pod News will be at Podcast Movement and just announced you, the editor of Pod News, will be giving the first keynote on March the 24th at 8.30, but more importantly, before Will Ferrell. So you've got top billing and Will Ferrell's just coming <laughs> on after you. Love it. I know, it's the funniest thing. And I noticed, and I'm sure that this is just Dan Franks, the boss of, um, uh, the boss of uh, Podcast Movement, um, taking the mickey. But he ended up buying a classified ad in, in Pod News the other day. And it says, you know, prices go up for uh, Podcast Movement Evolutions. They, they go up uh, every sort of week or so um, going up to the event. But anyway, it says register today before prices go up. To join 1,000 plus podcasters, industry pros, James Critland and Will Ferrell. <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> I end up being first before Will Ferrell. That's madness. Um, so thank you, Dan, for that. That's, uh, that's insane. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to my um, uh, currently nine minutes. I need to make it about 10. 
um, where I'm going through the Pod News report card and finding out um, who podcasters are liking, what podcasters think could be worked on, and all of that stuff, and some uh, relatively rude comments um, about uh, some of the podcast platforms. Uh, that will be first thing on March the 24th, 8.30 in the morning. Uh, we f- uh, very much looking forward to that. Are you falling out with more people at Podcast Movement then? So we're not going to get any more offers of drinks or dinner. So that's it. No, no, no. I'm, 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 trying, not to, I'm trying to be equally antagonistic to everybody. I think that's uh, the right okay. way to go, isn't it? Right, yeah. okay. Yeah, <laughs> and Radio Days Europe has announced a podcast summit in Malmö in Sweden. I, I, I did learn how to pronounce Malmö, and it's not Malmö, but anyway, um, I, think I think it's Malmö. I think fact. that's how the I think um, it's Malmö. The uh, uh, what were those puppets? <laughs> what the puppets who? Uh, with the <laughs> oh, shed? you're talking about the Muppets, aren't that's you? That's it. Yes, that's how I think the Muppets. You're talking said about, it. about about. Bork, bork, bork. They're making a puppet of corn. They're making a puppet of corn. They're really the shiny little one. Which I, I, I believe is now officially racist. Oh, okay. um, so Malmö in Sweden. Uh, looking forward to... Uh, I will be moderating a podcast summit in the afternoon of Sunday before Radio Days Europe. If you are coming to Radio Days Europe, this is a very small Venn diagram of people that are coming to uh, Radio Days Europe and people who are listening to this show. But anyway... Anyway, if you are coming, um, then uh, it's a tiny amount extra and you can come to the podcast summit. That would be brilliant. Please do, because otherwise it'll just be me there. Uh, alongside Edison Research's Tom Webster, Rob Greenley from Libsyn's AdvertiseCast is making the trip all the way over from the West Coast uh, to the west coast of Sweden, uh, Julie Shapiro from PRX, and Brian Barletta, Texas's own Brian Barletta from Sounds Profitable. Um, that should be great fun. Very much looking forward uh, to Radio Days Europe. It's one of my um, go-to conferences that I do every single year, and I was annoyed that I couldn't do it last year because of, you know, all of that. Uh, and so it'll be wonderful to be back again uh, in May. Qantas have just changed my flights, uh, I notice, and uh, they've cancelled one of them, which will mean that I can't cur- currently get there. So I'm hoping that my travel agent fixes that. <laughs> but I'm sure that she will. Uh, yeah, don't fly, uh, so- <laughs> don't fly by Ukraine. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so what's happened for you in Podland this week? Well, as I said earlier, we, we now have a TikTok channel. I've got to put some content into it, but we have a TikTok channel. And I was about to start a YouTube channel, but I thought I'd better ask you first. Uh, given what Kyron said, I think uh, we better stay away from it, actually. And if anyone could see me at seven in the morning, which is when I do this, and you at the end of the day, well, you, you're fine, but me at seven in the morning, it's not a pretty thing. No one needs to see it. <laughs> well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Um, and I am very much looking forward to trying to find out where on earth we're going to record this uh, next week. And indeed, when. My diary, my goodness, you have no idea. Uh, but still. So, James, what's happened for you this week then? Um, Go on, what then. has happened for me? Not very much, to be frank with you. Um, I've just been doing the tedious work of, you know, booking COVID tests and everything else uh, so that I can end up going to uh, LA next week and uh, putting a lot of things in my diary. Um, the best way of getting in contact, by the way, with anyone who's going to Podcast Movement Evolutions is to use the rather fancy app that they've got. It's a PWA, Sam. It is. It's a PWA. Um, and uh, worthwhile having a play with that. And you can contact anyone who's going, uh, which is uh, really good. So looking forward to that, too. And that's 
Oh, go on. Now, I was going to say on the PWA front, because we didn't mention it, 15.4, the iOS uh, and all the latest updates is because it's a massive PWA update. So for those people who want screen real estate and similar to red dot notifications, uh, that's now made available in 15.4. I did not know that. Uh, I have a fancy iPad, which I've spent a ludicrous amount of money on. I even bought an Apple Pencil as well. Uh, so I spent a ludicrous amount of money on that. Um, I, I've never said there are some people out there. Could you believe, Sam, there are some people out there who say that I have been calling Apple products toys. I've <laughs> never said that in my life. Never. I, I think they need to go back and check. I, I believe that's a yeah, misnomer. Never. I've, I've, I've never said that. Uh, and that's it for this week. Thank you to Marty Michael from Gumball. Next week, we will be live live in LA at Podcast Movement Evolutions. If you've enjoyed this show or any of our previous shows, please tell your friends on Twitter, LinkedIn, and soon possibly on TikTok, but don't hold your breath, uh, about Podland News is where we'll be, or just retweet one of our episode posts that uh, you know we put out. So equally, uh, as James said, we now have a new email. So if you'd like to email the show without a boostergram, is that why they call boostergrams? I don't know. Anyway, um, you can send us comments at podland.news. Uh, and you also, because James has fixed it, you'll find all our previous shows and interviews now at just podland.news. Yes, no more www. That's a marvellous thing. If you want daily news, you should get Pod News. The newsletter's free at podnews.net. The podcast can be found in your podcast app. How much am I looking forward to still putting that together uh, every day next week? Oh, a lot. Uh, and all the stories we've discussed on Podland today are in the show notes. We use chapters and transcripts too. Our music is from Ignite Jingles and we're hosting and sponsored by our good friends Buzzsprout who we look forward to seeing in LA and keep listening 